I'm going to throw you a curveball this morning. And normally I say just focus on the bulletin and follow along on the screen behind me. That'll keep you from flipping all over the place and it'll be easier for you to follow uh, during uh, the sermon. This morning, however, I want you to open up your Bible if you've got a copy of God's Word or a pew Bible or perhaps on your device and turn to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs is in the middle almost in the middle of your Bible. The main passage I will be looking at this morning is Proverbs chapter 5, but we will be referencing 6 and 7, and so if you have your Bible open, you will be able to look at those uh, pretty easily. This morning, if you've been here throughout our series through Proverbs, uh, we're coming back in some ways to where we were at the beginning, to these lectures on wisdom from a father or from uh, a father to a son or these instructors that are teaching young men. And in these first chapters of the book of Proverbs, there are ten lectures on wisdom that between a father and a son. And here's what's interesting about it is three of the ten have to do with sex. And so think about that with me. If you were in a class and you were listening to 10 lectures in 10 weeks and three of them were on sex, you can only draw one conclusion. It must be a really big deal. And God thinks it's a really big deal. And God wants us to have true wisdom in regards to the way we use our sexuality. And of course, this morning, this is a massive topic in our culture. You can't say everything. And if you try, you'll end up saying, saying nothing. I know you get tired of me saying that, but I need to keep saying that. Because will we cover every question that the culture is asking? Of course not. The other thing I want to say before I read is remember context is king. Context is king when you study your Bibles, particularly Proverbs. And here's what I mean. Remember the context. Fathers to young men. Okay, so when you read it, you're going to think, well... Isn't that convenient? It's an adulteress, and it's talking about a woman. Doesn't it cut both ways? (laughs) Of course it cuts both ways. Of course. But remember the context from fathers to sons. Think about those things as I read God's word. Proverbs chapter 5. This is God's holy and inspired word. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil but in the end she is bitter as wormwood sharp as a two-edged sword her feet go down to death her steps follow the path to Sheol she does not ponder the path of life her ways wander and she does not know it. And now, O oh sons, listen to me. And do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. And do not go near the door of her house. Lest you will give your honor to others. And your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength. And your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life you groan. When your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline. And my heart despised reproof. 
I did not listen to the voice of my teachers and inclined my ear to my instructors, and I am on the brink of utter ruin in the, in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cisterns, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight and be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a ways man's are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. This is God's holy and inspired word. Let me pray and ask God to come through his spirit and to help us this morning. We need it. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would come through your spirit and that you would show us this morning that sex is something that ultimately points us to you. It points us to the passion and depth to which you love us. Pray that you would show us that. Show us the gospel. And I also know that there are lots of there's lots of people that struggle with sexual brokenness in some way in this room to varying degrees. And so there's lots of shame around this topic. And I pray this morning when where there is pain and even conviction that you would pour in uh, the sweet balm of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray this morning we would leave here with our eyes focused firmly on him and not ourselves. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a world of sex. It, it's all around us. It's, you look at the newspaper. If you get the news on your phone, you watch the nightly news or morning news in some way, shape, or form, it's going to be there in one of the headlines. It's in some way, shape, or form, even if it's referred to in nearly every movie. It's in nearly... Every song in the radio, it's simply the air that we breathe. The world thinks that life is all about sex. And that any restrictions that are put on sex actually go against the grain of what it means to be a human being. That's not the way the Bible talks about sex. It's amazing how much this has changed in my 10, I did campus ministry for 12 years In 12 years, it's amazing how much this changed over 10 years. For example, maybe you've experienced this too. In the last 10 or 15 years, what was suggested in pop culture is now very explicit. And it's easy for us, I think, as the church to sit back and say, yeah, the culture, go get the culture. And of course, don't get me wrong, that's definitely a part of the problem. But you know who else is a part of the problem? We are. The church. Some of this has to fall on the church. Because we've been far too passive in this area of sexuality. And here's the problem with us being passive. Sex belongs to us. 
It belongs to the church. Sex belongs to God. God invented it. He gave it to us as human beings as a gift. It doesn't belong to Hollywood. It belongs to the church. And it seems like over the years, we are more embarrassed by it than anything else. The Bible's not embarrassed by it. God's not embarrassed by it. And at Faith Church, we don't want to be embarrassed by it either. And so this morning, we're going to talk about wisdom and sex. And uh, if we don't talk about it, then all the message that your children hear and that we hear is the message of the world on this topic of sexuality. And if we follow the message of the world, it will destroy us. And so we're going to talk about what the Bible says about our sexuality. Because remember, wisdom is skill at living. It's what we've talked about all uh, spring. Skill at doing life. And what's interesting is God says, I'm going to give you wisdom and skill at navigating your own sexuality. What a gift that God has given us in the book of Proverbs. And I realize that there's some of you that have used in what the Proverbs would call used your sexuality foolishly. You've gone outside of God's design. And I hope this morning that as you hear some of this, that more than anything, you will see that God offers you a path back. A path back home to healing and forgiveness and cleansing. I hope you hear that this morning as well. Remember, the book of Proverbs talks about two paths all throughout Proverbs. You've got the path of wisdom, which leads to life, and then you've got the path of folly, which leads to destruction. We see both of those paths. You probably The word was mentioned a couple of times in Proverbs chapter 5. And so that's going to work as our outline this morning. Number one, we're going to look at the wisdom of sex, following the path of wisdom. Secondly, we're going to look at the foolishness or the folly of sex, and that is when we distort it and take it outside of God's design. And then lastly, we will look at the redemption of sex. So let's look at those three headings this morning, and let's jump in with number one, the wisdom of sex. Uh, Using sex wisely, very clearly, is using sex the way God has designed it. And we see that in the second half of Proverbs chapter 5. Look at verses 18 and 19. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated, very strong, very clear, very vivid. Be intoxicated always with her love. And what's interesting in this section here of these verses in chapter 5, it really in some ways gives us incredible insight into the way the Bible thinks about sex. And so right here in Proverbs, we could say there's a theology, a biblical theology of sex. Let's look at a couple things here to bring that out. First, we see that Proverbs reinforces the Bible's sex ethic. And it's, it's very clear here, the, the sex ethic that we see throughout the rest of Scripture, the clear implication in verses 18 and 19 is that sex is between a man and a woman in the context of a marriage covenant. A husband and wife in marriage. We see that very clearly uh, in in this passage. Secondly, Proverbs also shows us, contrary to what the church has thought over the years, that sex is a good thing. It's something that God created and gave us as a gift, and it's meant to be enjoyed. 
I didn't give you the literal translation and work out verses 15 and 17, and it means exactly what you think it means. And if I were to unpack that, and if I were to unpack the Song of Solomon and some chapters in Song of Solomon, I promise I would make you blush. And what's interesting is the Song of Solomon, and even here, uh, says things that the Christian culture would never say about sex, but the problem is that it's in the Bible. God has designed sex to be something good and something that you enjoy in the context of marriage. It's never meant, it was never meant, we've done this. We are the one that have perverted and made sex a shameful, dirty thing, but it was never intended to be that way. But we have done that because of Genesis chapter 3 and our own sin and brokenness and what we've brought to it. But it was never intended to be something shameful and dirty. Third, Look at verses 16 and 17. Should your springs be scattered in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Again, a very vivid image here, but here's the bottom line. Engaging in sex is what we can draw from this. With people who are not your spouse is something that's forbidden in the Scriptures. Casual sex, if you're not married, is something that is forbidden. And listen, I know this flies in the face of the culture. I realized it. I, li- I was on the college campus for 12 years. And the culture says that you should be, your sexuality is yours and it belongs to you and that you should be able to have sex with whoever and whenever you want as long as they're of age and it's consensual. And so I know this flies in the face of the culture. And so I want to, for the rest of this point, we, I want us to talk about why does the Bible restrict sex between a man and a woman in the context of marriage? Is it because God's just wanting to rain on our parade and he's wanting to keep us from having all the fun and he's anti-sex no God's pro-sex we see that all throughout the scriptures and so why does God restrict it the way he does well let's work that out very simply he works it out because it is so powerful it's so powerful every sex act sex act the bible says is is a uniting act It's a uniting act, and I think that's important for us to understand. We think, and the culture says, that sex is just physical and it's pleasurable, and that's it. That's not the way the Bible talks about it. The Bible says that sex is holistic, that it's bonding, that it's physical, yes, but it's also emotional and spiritual. The Bible calls this and uses language like one flesh, becoming one with another person. 1 Corinthians, think about what Carl did in the confession. 1 Corinthians 6, let's, uh, the Apostle Paul is talking to the Christians at Corinth, and he says, and he's trying to warn them against having sex with a prostitute. But here's his reasoning. His reasoning is this. He says, do you not know that a person who is united in intimacy with a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is said, let the two become one flesh. And, and it makes me think, I think about super glue. I, I hate using super glue. Maybe you do too. Uh, but it bonds in seconds and it almost defies reasoning, the tenacity in which it bonds. I mean, if you've used super glue and you get some on your hand, your skin is coming off before the super glue does, I promise. 
If your fingers are stuck together, it's not going to feel good when you pull your fingers apart. And here's my point, is you don't have to understand how super glue works. You don't have to understand the physics behind it. In order for it to work, it just simply does. The exact same thing is the way the Bible talks about sex. Sex says you make promises, and those promises are tied to the power of sex, and they bond you to another person. And just like superglue, you don't have to understand it. You might not be able to get your mind around it and say, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't matter. It just does. That's the way the Bible talks about it. And see, at first glance, we see the culture, and we think, man, they've made a big deal out of sex. But when you start to understand the way the Bible talks, it, talks about it, you realize that they really haven't. Because the world thinks about sex just simply in terms it's isolated it to this one area of life called pleasure. And what I want you to see is that there's way more going on in sex than just biology and pleasure. When you sleep with someone, your body is making promises to them whether or not you do. That's the rationale. That's the rationale, the reason why God has put a flashing no sign up for sex outside of marriage. It's not because it's bad. It's not because he's anti-sex. It's because it's so powerful. And it can, the only covenant in relationship that can handle its power, the only place that it's safe enough and secure enough and stable enough in a place where it won't totally destroy you is in the covenant of marriage. Think of it like this. Think about a power plant or one of these power stations that you see around town. Do you ever see a power station or a nuclear power plant that does not have a fence around it? No. Why? Because we don't want someone wandering up and blowing up their life and doing damage to themselves. And that's the same way God thinks about Sex, he says, hey, I'm going to put a fence around this. Because if I don't put a fence around this, you can't disrespect this. If you disrespect sex and my design for it, it will do tremendous damage to your soul. And so God says, go, don't, don't try to go against the grain. If you go against the grain and think about all the Ten Commandments, it's not good for you. You will not thrive and live. It will lead to destruction. But on the other hand, if you use it properly the way God intended for it, sex will enrich your life and transform it and fulfill you and be something that's life-giving and be a gift to your marriage. Secondly, let's look at the foolishness of sex. So when we use sex foolishly, again, think of the two paths, then we are using it in a way that distorts God's design for it. And we could think of tons of examples of the ways we distort and the way our sin has distorted uh, sexuality. One of those would be pornography. Uh, Think about the Bible says that love and the biblical design for sex is me for you. Okay? That's the way the Bible thinks about me for you. So it's me giving myself to you and serving you. But what is lust? And think about pornography. What does it say? It does not say me for you. It says you for me. You belong to me. In other words, you're an object for my pleasure and, my ob- and an object to be enjoyed. You see the difference? 
That's why lust is a distortion. Another distortion is what the Bible calls fornication. And that is a term the Bible uses for someone who is single or who's been married and is now single who is having sex outside of the marriage covenant. But the other one we see, and the one I want us to look at a little more in depth, is adultery. What is adultery? Well, adultery is having sex with someone who is not your spouse. And all of these are obviously wrong, of course, and are outside God's design. But Proverbs focuses a lot on the foolishness of adultery. If you have your Bible open, look at chapters 5, 6, and 7. 5, 6, and 7, you should see these titles that say the warnings against adultery. And so I really believe, if, and this is going to be tough, but if I'm going to, I'm going to, my goal is to try to be faithful to the Scriptures, and so if we're going to be faithful to the Scriptures and we're going to be faithful to the book of Proverbs, we've got to talk about the warnings and dangers of adultery because it's all over the book of Proverbs. Look at Proverbs 7, verse 18. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning, for my husband is not home. He has gone on a long journey. I always just assumed that that was equating love with sex. But it's using the word love, and what this woman is saying is she's equating love here with excitement and thrill. And I think that's really helpful if you plug in everything I said last week on the way the culture thinks about love versus the way the Bible thinks about love. The Bible says love is commitment and decision. You decide to love. You make a commitment to love someone. It's not your feelings. If that were the case, we'd be in lots of trouble because our feelings change. But that's the way the world thinks about love. The culture says that love is excitement, it's chemistry, it's thrill, it's spark, it's magic. And, uh, and it's based on you and what's going on inside of you, okay? So think about that, and let's put it in the context of adultery. Sex outside of marriage and outside of God's design, whether it be fornication or adultery, it's always going to feel exciting and thrilling. And I want to, we've got to be honest in here, Right? It's always going to be thrilling and exciting, and there's a reason for that. It's because it's wrong, and it's because it's forbidden, and it's because your heart, because of Genesis chapter 3 and sin, is actually drawn to things that are wrong. That's why why your newborn child, as soon as they're able to walk, they're running to the light socket. (laughs) You don't have to tell them to find the light socket. Their heart's drawn to those things just like yours is. And I tell you, Augustine... St. Augustine was one of the first people to really bring this to light in his book called The Confessions, which is he talks about his life. And there's the famous pear tree incident. I don't know if you've read it. He goes and steals his neighbor's pears from his pear tree, and he says this. Then he takes the pears, the whole basket, and throws it to the pigs. Didn't eat a one of them. And so he says, I didn't steal those because I was hungry. I stole those because it was wrong and because it was thrilling and exciting. And I think that is an insight into the human heart. So it's always going to feel thrilling and exciting. And the excitement and the thrill of adultery is amplified by the fact that you eventually leave your your lover and you walk back home into the doors of your house. And you know what you find in the doors of your house? 
piles of laundry, chores, the grass needs mowed, children, you find someone who's not paying you any attention and you desire to be noticed and to be loved and they're not doing that. And so if you have the world's view of love and the world is spark and thrill and excitement and that's what you got up in your earphones all the way to the loudest level, then you look inside your house and you say, wait a minute, this is not thrilling. This is not exciting. And so I guess I must not be in love. This other person, they're the ones who notice me and understand me, and so I have finally found love. I know you're telling me it's wrong, but it feels so right, and that's the hook. That's the hook. And that's what Proverbs is saying. That is the hook or the bait that leads to the hook. There's always a hook. Look at chapter 5, verse 3. It talks about smooth talk. Smooth talk, smooth as oil. New York Times. I'll read this segment of this for you. It's called A Room Full of Yearning and Regret. And it was in the New York Times a few years ago. It was written by a woman who was cheated on, or she cheated on her husband, and then she became the victim. Her husband cheated on her. I don't know if she's a Christian or not, but this is strong. But it's so good, and it needs to be read. She says, the great sex, by the way, is a given. Think about Augustine. When you have an affair, you already know that you will have passionate sex. The urgency, the newness, the illicit nature of the affair practically guarantees that. What you don't know, or perhaps what you don't allow yourself to think about, is that your life will become an unbearable mix of yearning and regret because of it. It will be difficult, if not impossible, for you to be in any one place with contentment. This is no way for an adult to live. When you are with your lover, you'll be working on your alibi and feeling loathsome. When you're with your spouse, you will be dying to return to your love nest. When you're at home, everything in your life will be just a little bit out of register. The furniture and the food in the refrigerator and your children and your dog. Why? Well, because you've detached yourself from your normal point of reference. And now it belongs to a reality that you have abandoned. Mm. Proverbs six twenty seven. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes and not be burned? Can one man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? You see what Proverbs is screaming at us. You use sex on your own terms. Yes, it's going to hold out thrill and excitement in life, but it will bait you and hook you and lead to your death and destruction. Because it always does when we try to go against the grain of God's design. Look at the consequences, and we've got to talk about them because they're here. Look at Chapter 5, 5 through 14, verse 9, you will lose honor and dignity and joy. Verse 11, 10, 11 and 12, using sex outside of God's design will lead you with deep regret and sorrow. Verse 14, it will leave us embarrassed and ashamed. 
Is that the only consequences? Well, of course not. There are lots of other consequences we could mention. I need you to listen to me for a second. If you are dabbling, if you are beginning to text just a little bit more, and the eye contact stays for just a little bit longer, or perhaps this morning you've even crossed the line and you've committed adultery, you need to stop immediately. If you have a friend that you know is in the beginning stages, you need to be their friend and tell them to stop immediately. Because despite what you think this morning, you cannot manage it. As hard as you try, you cannot manage it. You will be found out. And even if your spouse does not find you out, your conscience will eat you alive. Anybody ready for the gospel? You've heard the law. Let's hear the gospel. See, one of the privileges of the church, one of the privileges of being a preacher is that I get to proclaim the gospel. Thank God this morning for Jesus. Third point, the redemption of sex. Right now, some of you are probably filled with guilt and shame because you know the truth, that what Proverbs is saying actually is truth, and you have engaged in sex outside of the way God has designed it, and it's wreaked havoc on your life. Others of you, though, this morning are feeling very self-righteous. You're feeling very self-righteous because you're thinking, I'm really sexually pure. I've got this. And if that's where you are this morning, then you don't have a clue about the standard of God's law. If you're self-righteous this morning about your own sexuality, you have minimized God's law. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says... You've heard it said that if you, you shall not commit adultery, but then what does Jesus say? But I say to every one of you who have looked at someone else lustfully that you've committed adultery in your heart. Every single one of us in this room are adulterers, your pastor included. That means all of us in some way, again, the degrees vary, okay? But all of us are sexually broken in some way, including your pastor. And our tendency, and I see this big time on the college campus Uh, I dealt with a lot of sexual brokenness. And when we come up against sexual brokenness in any shape or form, the tendency is we maximize the brokenness off the charts. And And when you do that, we minimize the cross and we say, God can never forgive me of this. God can never heal me and change me. And if that's where you are, that's not Christianity. I don't know what that is, but that's not Christianity. You see... Think about Jesus and how he responds to sexually broken people. I mean, it's everywhere in the Gospels. Let me mention one. John chapter 4, remember he meets the woman at the well, and Jesus basically enters into a conversation with her about her sex life and says, you've had five husbands, and the person you're with now is not your husband. He says, basically, I know all of your secrets and all of your shame, and I love you. And you remember what it did to the woman's life? It changed her life, and she goes back into the village and starts saying, I met a man who knew everything about me, and he treated me with dignity and respect and loved me and had mercy and grace on me, and it changed my life. She had met Jesus. 
And Jesus tenderly and gently deals with sexually broken people. They were drawn to him because they knew he would love them and have mercy on them. Friends, let's be clear. God is no friend of adultery. But God sent Jesus for adulterers. He sent Jesus. Jesus became the sacrifice for our sin. And he knew exactly who he was dying for. He knew he was dying for fornicators and adulterers and people who have been addicted to pornography and engaged in every other kind of sexual sin. And yes, the the warning is real. Uh, It's very real. Don't dabble. You'll get burned. You'll get found out. It will eat you alive. But it's also true that God's love in Jesus says that you can be atoned for for your sin, and you can actually have new life and be healed. But there's something else that I really want you to believe this morning. Yes, I want you to believe that you can be healed and forgiven and your sins be atoned for. But I also want you to believe that Jesus actually offers you the intimacy that you so much desire in your life. The intimacy that you've been looking for your entire life. From the time we're born, we're running around trying to plug into something to make us feel whole and alive. Are we not? Think about all the idols you bow down to. Jesus is the person that you're looking for. And let me work that out with you. Some of you this morning, uh, maybe you're here and you're single and you're thinking, and I get it. I'm not married. I hear what you're saying, Jason. I long to be married. I've prayed to God to be married. I want to experience what you're talking about this morning. And God, I know he's in control, and he has not brought this into my life. And I am frustrated, and it actually makes me frustrated to hear you talk about this. I understand, and thank you for hearing me out. But I also want you to understand this. I want you to hear me on this. And you can ask any person that is married in this room or your friends that are married, you will never get the intimacy that you so much crave in marriage and in a sexual relationship. You'll never get what you're looking for. And some of you, I know you find that very hard to believe because you think marriage is going to save you. And you think sex is... If I can just get married and have sex, I'll finally be a whole person and all my problems will go away. Not. See, the people that are laughing are the people that are married. And I'm serious. You talk to even the best marriage, you got to hear me, the best marriage and the best sex in marriage will not ultimately satisfy you. And if you don't believe me, ask the people that are laughing. That's why they're laughing. Because they know it will never give you what you ultimately want. Why? Because it's not meant to. Sex and marriage is meant to point you to Jesus. To something greater that actually can fulfill you. Because what are we looking for? We're look, when, we, when we engage in sex uh, in the wrong way, in the, in the distorted way, we're looking for something because it holds out the possibility that it will fill us up. And that's what pornography is. It's a false intimacy. That's why it has people in its grips because we're thinking, this will give me life. And then you go and it kills you because it's a false intimacy. We're looking for Jesus because that's where true intimacy is found because we all want to be known all the way to the bottom and have someone love us. That's what Jesus does. He knows all your shame and all your secrets, and he says, I love you fully. That's why I came into this world. 
Listen, I don't know what you brought into this room this morning, and I know it's brought up some shame and pain, and Jesus looks at you, and I want you to hear this, and he says, I know. I know. And he looks at you and says, I know you better than you know yourself. I know for some of you, you're not the person who you thought you would be 20 years ago. I know. I know your shame. I know the things that have been done to you by people who were supposed to take care of you and protect you. I know the things that you've thought and done and said. I know them all, and I'm still here, and I'm moving towards you. See, that's Christianity. Jesus doesn't move away from you. He moves towards you in order to heal you and make you new. Friends, don't make sex what it was never meant to be. It was never meant to fulfill you and provide you with your identity. It's always meant to be a signpost to where real intimacy can be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, part of this table actually points us forward to that day in the future when we will see our lover, Jesus, the lover of our souls, at the great wedding feast of the Lamb, when we will see him face to face. That's what we experience at this table. Let's come to the table uh, this morning. Let me pray before we do. Father, I'm really grateful. Thank you for loving your people enough to give us wisdom and grace in this area that's such a big part of our culture and our lives. And I pray that you would give us faith and ears to actually really believe that that's true. It is. Help us to believe that. I pray that you, for your forgiveness for the ways we've mishandled this great gift, Holy Spirit, grant us repentance. And again, where there's conviction and pain, I pray that you would pour in the healing uh, and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.